Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unlock Ukraine. Today, we are hosted by the President of European Economic and Social Committee, Krista Schwenk. Krista, thank you for hosting us here and for uh, agreeing to um, talk more about your presidency, about the committee and about what you have done for Ukraine and Ukrainians. We uh, have known each other for one year now. Actually, this is, it was around 4th of April that you gave the keys to Ukrainian civil society mm -hmm. to be hosted here in the committee. Um, do you remember this day? Do you remember how you took that decision? Of course I do, because uh, for me this 24th of February was quite a traumatic day, I have to say. It was the second day of our plenary uh, and uh, we were just surprised, of course, by this uh, news from this invasion and immediately we changed our whole agenda and we started to debate on uh, what is what we have to do now, immediately. And we found out there are quite a lot of people already providing support for Ukraine, already helping on the ground. NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations, civil society organizations being there and already providing assistance. But nevertheless, of course, we wanted to do more. And uh, we, what we did uh, right afterwards was to, to adopt one resolution uh, on Ukraine condemning in the strongest possible terms what happened to, to, to Ukraine, what Russia did. So for us this was um, uh, of absolute, uh, of, of high importance to, to, to act like this. Um, and uh, what, what motivated me most to give uh, the key to, to civil society organizations from Ukraine was that I felt it's important to keep the knowledge uh, and the contacts alive to know firsthand what's happening there, because your contacts are much more reliable than anything else we could organize. And therefore I was quite grateful to have this direct contact with you. And I saw that you needed support and help and we were able to provide it. So I'm glad, uh, glad and also grateful to our services who provided that assistance. I have to say that your teams are really very, very approachable. And uh, um, I can say from the feedback of the Ukrainian civil society organizations that are hosted here, that they could use not only the space that you have given, but also um, printing services and all other support with all the questions and information. But also what I have noticed, you are involving Ukrainian civil society in the sittings of the committee, in the meetings, and you are um, giving a voice to Ukrainian activists, well, also to European citizens, but to citizens of the third country. That is that wants to be a, a member of the EU. Uh, is that uh, uh, your way to show that you are uh, for Ukraine as a member of the EU? Well, absolutely. Uh, and you may also be aware that we have asked in our second resolution already before the European Council did that Ukraine becomes a member of the European Union. But uh, the way why we included, and I've also invited you to to some of the. Um, of our uh, plenary sessions, uh, first thing. And the second thing was also that we have, of course, this EU-Ukrainian association agreement. And this uh, these kind of agreements are usually overseen and monitored also by an EU civil society platform from the respective country um, uh, platform. And so this uh, combination made already that there were two meetings of this EU-Ukraine uh, civil society platform and they had these meetings uh, twice already since the war started. 
Do you feel that your um, support to Ukrainians has uh, intensified or has um, given more space for intensification of the contacts between Ukrainian civil society and European civil society? I hope so. For me, it's a bit difficult to judge because, you know, I just have this perspective from the from the Brussels bubble. And that might be different than what is to be seen on the ground. But I trust that the work that you are doing and that our civil society organizations are doing is exactly, and these are our members, that this is exactly what brings uh, Ukrainians and Europeans together. And what is the main point of the committee, like for Ukrainians who don't know are learning yet what mm -hmm. what European institutions are, how everything works in Brussels, in Brussels bubble, how can they use committee in, in a positive sense um, to, to approach more European Union? Well, what our committee is consisting of employers, workers and civil society organizations. So the, the three groups. And the idea is <coughs> first of all to, uh, to have more informed legislation because our people come from all walks of life and from all member states and what they do is that they give advice to European institutions and that helps to make legislation much more to the ground, to the point and also says what is needed on the ground. Which is also why we are convinced that when it comes to re reconstruction of Ukraine and I'm sure it will and I hope it will soon be the case that then it is of utmost importance to involve organized civil society from Ukraine in order to support that process. But that's already being uh, done slowly, slowly, and uh, we would say, uh, well, from what I can hear and what I have learned, that the uh, committee serves as sort of advocacy platform for, uh, for civil society and from bottom up for the institutions. Is it what we can say? I'm not sure about advocacy, but what we are doing is definitely providing on a joint basis, and that is not always that easy to reach, because as you can imagine, these represent large groups of, uh, of, of, of societies and of our societies, and sometimes employers and workers have controversial views. But putting them together on one table, negotiating, and then finding consents, that is exactly what brings us further, and this is our added value. Do you feel that these resolutions that uh, you mentioned that have been adopted here, um, that they have any further development, elaboration further in other institutions uh, of the EU? They were, of course, widely distributed. And uh, what we've asked also for is that when it comes to the reconstruction of Ukraine, that also frozen Russian assets are being used. So this is what we've already asked for in June last year. We've already always supported all the sanctions that have been um, been um, asked uh, or, or that have been adopted towards uh, Russia. And therefore, uh, I think this is an important thing. And uh, yesterday I just learned that the Commission uh, is about putting that exactly in practice and checking how this can be put in practice. The assets using uh, Russian frozen mm -hmm. assets for Ukrainian reconstruction. Um, hopefully not only uh, frozen assets of our Russian oligarchs, but we hope that also the, the Russian um, like state assets. Well, it take, will take probably some time, but... Uh, um, because of the state immunity, um, but we hope that it will happen. And we thank the, the European Economic Social Committee for being very strong in this term and having this stance. You have been president for um, two and a half years now, um, and you became a president during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, is it something that disturbed or distorted your uh, presidency in the very beginning, or um, did it 
did it influence um, your expectations on, on how you would take your leadership here? Uh, well, not really. But uh, what was what was quite quite clear from the beginning is that it will be a different term and a different mandate than the others had. Huh? And uh, as I said, the committee exists since uh, 1957, so quite some time now. And uh, I think it's the first and I hope the only inaugurational session that took place in a hybrid way. And that meant uh, that I was sitting in my office in Vienna, con being connected with the European Parliament plenary, having there around 20 people, 10 of them must have been technicians, running around and connecting 329 members. And believe me, they're that was a weird atmosphere. But nevertheless, it was an inaugural session. It was a discussion on how to um, make uh, economy uh, and, 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 and societies thrive again after COVID, because my vision was always to look how can societies become stronger after COVID? How can Europe become stronger after COVID? And therefore, the vision was to have an, uh, a Europe that is economically prosperous, socially inclusive, and environmentally sustainable. Because I think, for me, this is the magic triangle that we need to, to reach. You uh, became a president uh, on the very distant way. You said you know, it was online, online meeting. Now you are very close to the European citizens. You are trying to involve them more into the European decision-making process. But you have been with the committee for more than 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Can you compare um, being close, like, of the committee being close to the citizens before COVID and now? Is there, is there a change? Um, I don't think that there is so much change due to COVID. So this, this was something that th this bridge building function we tried to have from the very beginning. So this was always our, our aim. This was always our ambition. This was always what we wanted to be. And therefore, I think it's quite the same. What, what I tried to make clear, and we are on, on still on our way, this is not, not done yet, um, is that we need to sell our products better, and our products are our opinions. And very often we have the impression that is the, the collaboration between us and the other European institutions is not that widely accepted or widely seen from the outside. But recently I've learned with the European Parliament that on, on, on certain levels it works extremely well. On others there is uh, a bit more space. So uh, I think we are on a good path. But nevertheless, my idea was always that our members who are rapporteurs for certain opinions, or who work on certain opinions, need to be ambassadors of these opinions. Ambassadors towards who? Towards European institutions yes. or towards...? Okay. It works both ways, but the idea is always this bridge building means that the experience we have from the ground, we bring it up here to the Brussels bubble, but also, of course, on the way back. And is it like citizens, um, can they have that impact to put pressure on the European institutions to take the opinions of the committee more into consideration? Would that be an option, like if citizens are empowered to, um, to ask the institutions to, to consider? Well, they did already somehow. When you look at the Conference on the Future of Europe, where we had this experience of direct citizens' involvement, randomly chosen. On the other hand, organized civil society, European institutions like our institution, but also like big civil society organizations. Here we had this mix of everything together. And what came out of this conference was that the ESC is seen as a guarantor and facilitator 
of our participatory democracy activities. And that for us is, of course, um, uh, a request that comes fr out of this conference and therefore also from the citizens. You are uh, you're Austrian uh, and you are a lawyer. Have you always, uh, well, you're also with the, with the committee more than 20 years, have you always uh, uh, wanted to be a president or you, want, you, you had in, in mind uh, a legal career? Is there something you would do differently uh, if you looked in the past? No, I think uh, all, the, all the bits and pieces fell exactly to the places where they should be. But it was, it was not something that I planned, that I didn't even have the intention to do. But uh, it turned out quite naturally to, to be like this, so, yeah. And as a president, have you done everything what you wanted? Is there something you would do more? Is there a bit more time, if you were given like half a year more a presidency a mandate, mm. or would you do something? What, what shocked me is that two and a half years are quite short. I, wasn't, I didn't notice that. But if you take COVID into account, and then you see that the first seven months of my mandate, I couldn't travel. So after seven months, I only after seven months, I managed to meet some of my uh, of my team members. So my cabinet, uh, some of which, uh, like uh, Magda here in the room, uh, I didn't, I haven't met her before. So I just did an, an uh, interview online with her. And after seven months, I was finally able to see her in person. And she was not the only one. So this is something that I think is quite unusual. And I had very little time to prepare my presidency. This I need to say as well. So for me, yes, these first seven months, I think they are somehow lacking, which does not mean that I didn't do anything. No, on the contrary, I was extremely active also in that period. It was only afterwards that my team realized, oh, now it becomes more difficult because now you have to calculate also ways between, you know, place A and place B. Beforehand, it, you could do uh, meetings um, in a row online and, and, and that was somehow easier because you didn't have all the logistics apart from the, the right address. But uh, then physically, of course, makes a huge difference. And you are traveling a lot now. Yes. Are you going to different states, uh, member states, uh, to meet uh, the members of the committee? And, or what? I'm not meeting members there, but what I try to do is also to get a certain feeling for, for what's happening on the ground. Uh, coming back to Ukraine, I never went to Ukraine because I thought this is um, a security issue, but uh, therefore not only for me, but also for Ukrainians, and I didn't want to endanger anybody. But what I did is I went to Romania, and I looked uh, about the facilities they provided there for Ukrainians. And for me this was quite impressive, I have to say, because Romania is not a country that has any experience with refugees, not at all. And they, it's not their mindset, it's not there, but it was absolutely natural immediately to start help and to start support. And the facilities that they provided there is quite impressive because all the local, regional, European, but also UN agencies are all together in, in, in one room in Bucharest. And I, I, I saw this center and I was really amazed. You also traveled to Poland. Uh, there was a meeting. We, have a, we had a big conference in Poland, yes, and I had also the opportunity there to make contact with civil society organizations on the ground, seeing how they provide uh, support for Ukrainians. We had a conference on reconstruction of Ukraine uh, June last year, um, where we had about 200 participants. So I think this, this was also something where we connected and also to see on the ground what, 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 what's happening really. What are civil society organizations doing, but also what uh, um, governments doing? 
You are a successful woman. Uh, you're a president, female president. Uh, was that difficult for you to, to be a female or woman leader? Is it something that came on your way or, um, you know, like women are faced with challenges, especially when they have to balance family and career? Mm. Well, um, I think my daughter was born in 2002. So she's now 21. She gets she gets 21 this year. This makes things a lot easier, I have to say. So with a small child, and I was always traveling, I was always working. Uh, but I was used to be um, in, in the uh, Agency for Safety and Health in Bilbao. I was always involved and I was always the spokesperson of the employers. And on a three-year rotating basis, I was also the president there. So I had this experience of, of, of leading, of managing uh, a tripartite body, I'd say. Um, so this this is, of course, experience that helps. And therefore, it didn't. It 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 wasn't something that was very surprising or was very unusual for me. Let me put it like this. So it comes naturally. And um, have you always wanted to be a president? No. <laughs> oh, no, it just happened. <laughs> that is something that uh, many girls, are, you know, they they when they have to choose the career, they are being um, encouraged mm -hmm. to to be ambitious and to dream high because actually what's the problem is with women that they um, get, can get employed but very seldom they get into very high positions and mm -hmm. that's what uh, what happened with you you are on a, on a very high position and it's interesting for for women to know how it happens so yeah it just happens and uh, it, it is possible um, is there something you would like to tell to Ukrainians who are hearing us now? Is there like if you have this opportunity to, to, to inspire them or to give them a word of support? I'm really impressed by the courage that uh, people are showing. I'm impressed how, um, how Ukrainians are also coping with the challenges they're facing in the countries where they're currently living. Because leaving everything you have from one day to the other, it's, it's heartbreaking. And therefore, this is something that really inspired me, that people are so courageous and, and do that and have to cope with very difficult circumstances. And this, uh, I think, is really, uh, th this deserves support and this requires support. And this is a question of solidarity for me. Recently, we talked to uh, the Vice President of European Commission, Dobravka Suica, and um, she spoke about defending democracy and defend democracy package that is now currently being under public consultation and the Commission is going to uh, adopt that package uh, soon. Um, what do you think about the citizens' involvement into um, making this uh, defense democracy package legitimate in terms of uh, defending democracy from foreign interference? Mm. I think, uh, as usual at the beginning, it's education. It's education, education, education. Because if you don't have people who are able to think critical, to ask the right questions, to do not, who do not believe everything they hear, I think this is the first important protection against interference from the outside. And here I'm talking, of, uh, of course, about fake news and about rumors being spread. And we all know that social media made it much easier to do and, 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 and work on that. We, we are all aware about that. But I think we, we are aware about that, but we are also well educated. And this is precisely what I mean. I would like to see really the whole of Europe 
being aware of this threat to democracy. Because if you start believing just on one single trace and you don't keep your eyes open for uh, other, other uh, facts and figures that are around, you risk really to be on the, on, you, you risk to have blind spots. And these blind spots, in my view, endanger democracy. And the second thing, um, and that comes together with that one, is if we look uh, at elections that are currently going on, we see also a lot of foreign interference into these elections. And we see also that a lot of so-called autocrats really came into power because of democracy. And to me, this is one of these internal contradictions that we, we are being faced with. So that our tolerance, our values, our respect for the, op for the, for the um, uh, opinions of others are precisely what creates sometimes exactly the opposite. So there should be some limits or red lines to defend democracy. Exactly. And I think here it gets really difficult. Here we are in very deep waters. But that is why we need citizens' involvement, because it exactly. is citizens who, citizens who legitimize it and they give their own opinion. And therefore they need to be educated in the right way, in, 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 in really with this open mind, with this ability to ask questions. So they have to be empowered. Yes. To be educated, they have to be empowered. That is what you do as well. Are you planning to come to Ukraine one day when there is a victory? Yes, I would really like to see it. I would really love to go there. You are invited. Thank you. We will make sure that Ukrainian civil society is there to, to receive you and uh, uh, give you a proper applause. Um, probably the last question, what are you planning to do in future? Well, what I would uh, continue is that I will continue as a member of this committee. Uh, I will take more back more of my responsibilities I had in Austria before because uh, my, my organization, of course, gave me, gave me some space, otherwise I couldn't have uh, done the job here. And, um, well, as I said, I'm a lawyer. I come from the employer's side, but I'm very much into social affairs. And um, my, my, my speciality is European uh, social policy. And I'm looking also forward to work in that field more intensively again. I wish you success. Oh, thank you very much. This has been Unlock Ukraine with the President of European Economic Social Committee, Krista Schwenk. Don't forget to subscribe.